Hi, this is ESPN's Dave Lamont, and you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. You're listening to 50 Pirates in 50 Days on the Sports Objective Podcast. Between now and the Pirates' scheduled season opener on August 29th against Marshall, we will take a daily trip down memory lane as we will talk to former East Carolina football players about their path to ECU, their time in the purple and gold, and what they're up to now. Now let's talk Pirate football. Welcome into the Sports Objective Podcast, coming to you early on a Wednesday morning. I'm very excited right now to continue on with our 50 Pirates and 50 Days series. Uh, this is day 16, so we're essentially a third of the way through. And um, before we get to our guests, I'm very excited to have co-host Jay Sonhalter back with us this morning. Jay, appreciate you joining us. Bubba, good morning. So excited to be on and, and have Rocco with us. Yeah, it was funny. Until the pre-show there, I didn't realize you guys knew each other. Uh, obviously, Rocco's also from the state of North Carolina, uh, from Northern Guilford High School. Um, so, Rocco, first of all, welcome into the program. Thanks for having me. Good morning, guys. Absolutely. Um, like I said, you're out of Northern Guilford High School and um, started to play for the Pirates in 2011, uh, red shirt season. But before we talk about your recruitment and path to Greenville, uh, just how, how are things going? Uh, I know you were studying for the bar exam, uh, completed UNC Law School here recently. Uh, so just bring us up to speed on everything going on in your life and how are things the last four plus months with the pandemic with COVID-19? Yeah, so um, as you said, I just uh, graduated from UNC. It was uh, weird being a Tar Heel, but, you know, I, I couldn't say no to that program. <laughs> um, it was time there. I, I actually uh, liked Carolina a little bit more, but I also realized it's not ECU. Um, so, yeah, I, I like it a little bit more, but it's definitely not ECU. Um, you know, I had a good time there. Um, I recently just moved to Florida. I'm in um, Boynton Beach, Florida which is about 30 minutes south of West Palm Beach. Um, so I'm pretty close to the beach, which I like. Um, I moved down here about two or three weeks ago. Um, and as you said, I'm just getting ready for the bar exam right now. Um, it was supposed to be taking it next week, but, you know, with corona and everything going on and Florida kind of becoming the epicenter of everything going on with COVID, um, you know, they had to postpone, postpone it, you know, so there's no in-person bar exam now. It's going to be virtually online August 19th. So I'm just getting ready for that and just trying to stay prepared and focused. Yeah, um, you mentioned the way things have been crazy uh, since the beaches and things have been opened back up in Florida, um, specifically there where you are in Boynton Beach. Um, ha- how are things? Uh, so, you know, um, we're not closed down. Like, So if you go down um, to Miami, um, you know, they're closing down at 8 p.m., um, restaurants and everything. Uh, Fort Lauderdale's 10 p.m. Uh, here we're doing 11 p.m. for Palm Beach County. So it's not really much of a change for me because, you know, I'm not going out past 11 p.m. really. Um, maybe on like a Saturday night I might want to or something. But besides that, I'm just trying to focus on studying. So it kind of works out better for me that this is what's going on because I don't really have any temptation right now because there's no bars to go to. So like, I'm not missing too much. So I'm actually not that mad that things are closing right now. And Rocco, even though you were coming in um, 
As far as your recruitment, um, you were coming in during that second year of the Ruffin McNeil era. I know uh, out of Northern Guilford, uh, you were being recruited by Skip Holtz's staff uh, prior to him leaving for South Florida. So just take us back to your high school days um, there in Greensboro and, and talk about uh, your career. Give us give us a little background there. Yeah, so um, I originally got recruited by skipping them. Um, I started getting recruited after my uh, sophomore year in high school. It was one of my first visits ECU. I went to a ECU UAE game, and I had the time of my life. I loved it. And it was, after that game, I was like, "Man, I want to be in Greenville. Like, I like the place." Um, it was actually before the stadium had the back, um, the new horseshoe. Right. It was before the addition. Um, so I, I went during then. Um, you know, that was the Skip Holtz days. My coach in high school, Coach uh, Johnny Roscoe. He had previously known Coach Holtz, and they had a pretty good relationship. And I actually got recruited at first as a quarterback. Um, and then, because that's what I, primarily, that's what I was in high school. I was a quarterback, and then I played some DB. And then it came about my junior or senior year. You know, I didn't really get any taller. We thought I would get taller, but I didn't. Um, didn't really get much bigger, but I got faster. And then I started playing a little bit more defense. I went to some camps. Um, I ran really well at the camps because, you know, I did back in high school. Um, I was decently good at track. Um, and so I, I put out some pretty good times at the camps. Went to ECU. I ran a good time. I did a good job at the camp. And then I got the offer. Um, I went to Duke the next day or the day before, I believe. No, the next day. Um, then I got an offer at Duke. And but I had already committed to ECU by then. So I, once I committed, I wasn't looking back. I wasn't going to be one of those guys that kind of flipped. Um, so that was kind of it. Rocco, when you so you made the decision, you know, to go to ECU, and then when you get there as a freshman, what was the mm. biggest adjustment you had going up in the next level and, and kind of earning earning your spot as far as playing time goes? You know, the biggest thing for me was, you know, my whole high school career, I looked at myself as a quarterback, um, didn't really know much about playing DB and specifically corner. Um, you know, told me originally I was maybe going to play safety, um, maybe a free safety, maybe not corner. You know, there's not many white corners out there. And, um, you know, we were thinking I was going to move to safety and I just never – was able to get in the weight and get big enough to actually play safety. So, you know, I was playing corner and that was a big adjustment for me, learning how to play and be physical and get the technique down and all that. And, you know, when I first got there, Derek Blacknall, um, first seven on seven, he looked at me, he's like, Hey, you, you three, three, six boy, right? I was like, yeah, I went to Northern. He's like, man, come with me. I got you. And so from that day on, Blacknall started helping me and, you know, ED was really good too. Jacoby, all those guys, you know, they really took care of me and made sure that, you know, I was comfortable learning everything. But Blacknall, as soon as he heard I was from Greensboro, it was just like a connection built between me and him. And, you know, he, he just took care of me and made sure that if I had any questions, I could ask him, which I can't thank him enough for. Yeah. Um, so th that, that was probably the biggest adjustment was just learning and just how complex defense is and college compared to you know in high school my coach just looked at me and said hey just don't get beat deep that's yeah. it or you got him that's it 
and there's a lot more reads. We didn't really do too many reads um, in high school and college. We did. So that, that was a big adjustment. I wasn't really ready for yet. And that's why like something like a redshirt year helps so much, especially with the way that, you know, uh, rough and them staff, they did the thing called Thursday night lights, you know? So if you're not playing um, on the Thursday when everybody else does the walkthroughs, it's game day for you, baby. You're going out there, you're competing against the other guys, and you're actually getting almost like game reps, which I think helps with the development of players a lot. Yeah. And, hey, Rocco, back back to the recruitment process. I want to, yep. you know, so many times we, we you know, we hear where, where everyone got recruited and why they picked DCU, but it's always interesting to hear how the coaches were explaining, you know, what ECU has to offer and what they were saying to you. So what were they saying to you when they were recruiting you, trying to get you to come to ECU? I mean, their pitch probably wasn't had to be as hard for me as other guys. You know, I didn't really have – I wasn't a big recruit guy. You know, I didn't get the Duke offer till late. Before that, my only offer was um, I had Elon and Coastal Carolina, and those were both as a quarterback. Um, so their pitch wasn't anything crazy. You know, I really just believed in, you know, Ruff and his family – when he told me family, you know, and he came to see me and all that, I believed in that. And, you know, it shows to this day that he did mean it. Um, my family, we had a, we connected well with Coach Mitchell and Coach Price. You know, they were always checking up on me. And, you know, what meant a lot was when, you know, my senior year, I broke my hand the first game of the year. And, you know, I, w- I was kind of worried to tell them at first because, you know, I'd heard horror stories about, you know, players getting hurt and, you know, they're not sure if they're going to be ready to go and getting an offer pulled because they hadn't signed yet. So I was kind of concerned about that. And I told them and that never even crossed their mind um, to even bring that up. They just want to know how I was doing stuff like that. Um, and another big selling point for them was, especially for my dad, if anybody knows my dad, he knows um, they know that he, he likes being able to see me whenever he wants. Um, you know, it was within driving distance to my place because um, another school I had to offer actually from Northwestern too, but that was way too far. My dad wouldn't even let me go on a visit. So in way too cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was way too far. So, you know, I wasn't, dad didn't even let me go look at it. Um, so it, with him, it, he wanted me to be in state. That was a big thing for him. So Rocco, um, you actually already answered one of the one of the things I was going to mention as far as any offers um, that you had at the quarterback position, saying Elon and who else? Coastal Carolina. Uh, Coastal was Coastal my first. Carolina. Okay. They're my. Right. I got offered by them as a sophomore, I believe, into my sophomore year. Okay. So um, you mentioned Derek Blacknall. Before we go any further, uh, I just wanted to mention. Um, I mean, so tragic uh, what happened with Derek back. I guess it's what December of twenty thirteen. Um, not too long after his pirate career had ended, yeah. um, a shame. I know what I mean. He was uh, murdered by his brother. Mm-hmm. And um, his other brother actually, because uh, they were twins that played at Dudley. They were both ballers, and his other brother actually uh, passed away here recently too. So uh, wow. prayers out for their family. Absolutely uh, tragic. No doubt, uh, so tragic. They're twenty-four years old, but. Um, 
So moving on with with your time with the Pirates, uh, you were coming into the program there in 2011. Um, we we were coming off a bowl game, even though a losing record, um, six and seven in Coach Russ' first year. And uh, just talk about some of those guys in the defensive backfield um, when you entered the program there in 2011. I mean, you know, the horse room was uh, Damon Magazine. You know, as soon as I'm coming in, I'm coming in from this kid. You know, he's coming off of his interception against Russell Wilson, NC State. You know, so he's already kind of established himself as, you know, the alpha in the room. You know, and then once you get to know him and know how much he knows about football, it, it's unbelievable. Um, there's there's a reason that he is a coach at – he's coaching at UNLV right now, um, and there's a reason for that. He is absolutely brilliant with actual – his knowledge of the game – and knowing how to adjust in game and make sure he's in the right position. You know, if you test him, he's not going to test fast. You know, I would have beat him in every metric of testing fast, you know, 40 shuttles and all that. But I was never going to be as productive as him because he knew where to be at all times. And he was just a gritty player that was down to get physical and just was able to put himself in the right position always at the right time. And he made plays. And that's why I think he's one of the best safeties that we've ever had. Yeah, then, you know, we, Sorry, go ahead. I had a little bit of a lag. And, you know, we had ED in there, you know, who, who was coming off of some pretty good seasons. You know, ED was a legend in his own right. Um, you know, so he was good. Um, we had Bradley Jacobs. Um, we had Polk, who was a absolute specimen. Um, I don't think I've seen many corners built like him or as physically strong as him. Um, you know, we, we had a lot of good guys in there. We we had Jay Hawk, who, you know, Josh Hawkins was coming off of playing running back in high school. Me and him were actually roommates during camp. And he came in, and like, in the dorms, and he would look at me like, hey, man, like, let's work on backpedal. And me and him would just work on backpedaling in the hallways in the dorms because neither of us really knew what we were doing yet. And I remember the first time, I mean, Jayhawk's first couple of weeks, he, he was very raw. And, you know, is kid going to be good? Like, I didn't know. And ED looks at us. He goes, you're going to be right. He's going to be the one. And ED knew something we didn't because I didn't see it. And here we are. Jayhawk's now five years into the league. So, E.D. saw something we did. Yeah, you, you mentioned Emmanuel Davis. Uh, of course, Emmanuel, another North Carolina kid, and he had an excellent career like you've already referenced with the Pirates. Um, was part of the Conference USA title teams and a tremendous resource for you to learn from with him having played corner. And uh, he went on to a tremendous career in the CFL. Yeah, yeah. So I, I recently saw E.D. at the game and caught up with him, Dota, uh Coda man. Um, so I caught up with them. I was at the game with uh, old roommate CJ Struck. And so it was good to catch up with those guys and just all link up and talk about the glory days. Rocco, you talk about checking up and keeping up with all your friends from the team. What coaches do you still stay in touch with? Uh, so, you know, I, I talked to Trip um, Weaver. Um, I talked to him pretty often. I talked to Coach uh, Brandon Jones. He was offensive line coach. He was never actually my coach, but that is my guy. Um, you know, I, I talk to him pretty regularly. Um, he, he's now at Houston, and um, 
you know, he's just a really good dude. Um, I consider him a player's coach. You might hate him while he's your coach because he, he's going to get the best out of you. But he's just such a genuine dude, um, and he knows what he's doing, so that always helps. And, you know, I still keep in touch with Ruff. You know, Ruff calls me sometimes. Uh, he'll text me. Um, I said before in a previous podcast, you know, he called me before my first exam and gave me a, a warm-up speech like it was a game day. Um, <laughs> just ready to run out of the locker room. He called me after I graduated. You know, he, he keeps checking up. And that's what, when I said earlier, that family attitude, you know, he really does believe it and actually follows through with it. Yeah, that's one of the things I was going to mention, uh, what you said as far as Coach Ruff and how he um, he called you before, you know, take, taking your exam. And that shows a lot as far as, I mean, if they're, I'm sure most folks obviously didn't have doubt, but if there was any doubt in the type of uh, character and just a high-quality individual Russell McNeil is, that's a prime example because uh, I don't know Ruff very well at all. He's been on our show probably three or four times, and I had talked to him a few times at Pirate Club functions and things like that. And um, and so he he saw that here about a month and a half ago was my birthday, and he reached out to me. He had, he had my number from when we had uh, had him on the show, and – I mean, he, he doesn't know me very well at all, like I'm saying, and he, he reached out and told me happy birthday. So that was something that kind of blew me away. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, I mean, Ruff's just a guy that, you know, they don't make him like him anymore. You know, um, he's just as genuine as they come. You know, he genuinely wants the best for people around him. As long as you're not looking to screw him over, he's going to love you with all that he has. And if you go hard for him on the field, he's going to go hard for you in life. And that's just kind of what he brought to the table. And, you know, I'm upset he's gone, but I'm glad that, you know, he's coaching again. Um, he's able to be near his dad. I know that's important to him. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see what he does at State. You know, it's going to yeah. be weird seeing him in the red. I, I told him, I said, man, it's going to be see- weird seeing you in the red, but I'm ready to see you back on the field. So that's good. Go ahead, Jay. Yeah, so just with those relationships and, you know, everything that you create at ECU, that's lifelong bonds, and, you know, that's what makes things so special. And I always, you know, think back about things you miss when you're playing, you know, now that you're out in the real world and, you know, removed from ECU. What's some of the biggest things you miss, you know, from being at the university and also being on the team? I mean, you know, I, I don't miss the 5 a.m. study halls. I, I don't miss that. I don't really – I mean, even though I'm not in as good shape as I used to be, I don't miss Coach Connor's workouts. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't miss his summer conditioning. But then again, I kind of do miss it just because, you know, you're out there with your brothers, you're sweating together, you're grinding together, you know, and I kind of miss that. You know, it keeps the little flame lit in your mind to just keep pushing and it kind of gives you a mentality that you can't be broken. And that translates to other things in life. Like when I didn't think, you know, when I was in law school, like the first week I was like, damn, what I have a hundred pages. And I like, I don't know if I can do this. And I'm like, eh, I did run six, I did run six, three hundreds. I can do this. It's fine. It it, kind of just like puts things in perspective in life. Like you can go a lot harder than you really think you can. Um, so I miss that, you know, I, the thing I miss 
probably the most is, you know, just being in the locker room with the guys and being able to be, you know, a five minute drive, you know, from me going over to Shane's house and seeing him and Grove and Jake or something like that, you know, now Shane's up in Idaho being a mountain man and coaching ball. And, you know, if I want to go see him, I'm taking the trek. I'm taking two treks to Narnia. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's a big difference. You know, um, if I wanted to say, I wanted to go CJ, see uh, my old roommate, CJ, um, even if I was back in North Carolina, I'm driving four hours to Moorhead city. And, you know, that's not the same as walking to the room beside me. You know, and, so it's a big difference. You know, we, we still try to get up um, probably me and Shane, we try to get up, you know, like once a year maybe. And then like some of the other guys we try to get up a little bit more often that don't live in Narnia. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a trek out there, man. I don't, I don't know why he chose Idaho. It's beautiful. I get it. I, I love it when I'm out there. That's the only part of Idaho I've heard of, though. It's one city, Boise. <laughs> yeah, hey, he's in a uh, city called Haley. Um, oh, yeah. I, I flew there once. I don't think I don't think I flew into Haley. Haley International I, I, Airport. <laughs> yeah, that might be it. <laughs> yeah, he was like, he's like, hey man, you can fly into Haley. It might be a little bit more expensive, or you can fly into Boise, and you got to drive three hours. I was like, dude, I'm not flying five hours to drive three. No. <laughs> Hey, hey Rock, Rocco, who stayed awake during the 5 a.m. study hall? Who stayed awake? Yeah, did, was anybody All like, wait, you had to stay how, oh, how oh, oh, the study hall was supposed to be studying. Coach Smith, we we're in there watching film, baby. Wait, that 5 a.m.? He's in there 5 a.m. We're oh watching film. Oh. Yeah, so the, the study hall was, you know, if, if someone in your position group got in trouble, uh, they missed a workout, they missed class. Everybody's coming at 5 a.m. in your position group as punishment. So it was kind of like group accountability, Yeah. which used to make me mad because, you know, I didn't really miss class. I went to class. You know, like, <laughs> that's what I'm there to do. Like, I'm, I'm there to get a degree. I'm there to play ball. So I'm going to class. You know, am I going to pay attention in class? Maybe not always, but am I going to physically be there? Yes, because I know that we got class checkers. So, you know, I was going to be there. But, you know, we had some knuckleheads that, you know, would sleep in, you know, just do college things, you know, go out the night before, like, ah, I'm, not, I'm not going at 8 a.m. And then, yeah, you're not going at 8 a.m., but you're going to be at 5 a.m. study hall. Yeah. Um, they didn't understand so, that part of it. But, you know, yeah. that, that's not really fair because you look, you know, I played tight end. You only have, like, four or five guys that could screw up. At DB, you got, like, exactly. 15, 20. So there should have been more of a scale. <laughs> So we we tried getting so me and uh, I think it was me and Hawk realized that or maybe me and Amos were like man like it's always the safeties that are missing none of the corners we're good like we hold each other accountable it's like coach you know we have different lines when we're when we're doing drills for safeties and corners can't we have different different groups for study halls corners and DBs corners and safeties he's like no no we're all DBs. <laughs> So, at least you tried, though. I respect it. Oh, I, I was trying. I was not trying to be at 5 a.m. every. It was every week. Every week we were there. Now, Rocco, since you brought up Coach Smith, obviously Rick Smith, he had been at East Carolina on Skip Holt staff, then went to South Florida, then came back um, for that 2013 season. Um, Coach McNeil making that move to bring him back in uh, right after the bowl uh, loss to Louisiana Lafayette. So, ju- so just talk about Coach Smith. Uh, like you said, I know – 
Brian Mitchell was knowledgeable that he was, he wasn't a bad defensive backs coach because obviously he went on West Virginia, Virginia Tech. And so he, I mean, he's doing something right. But at the same time, Coach Smith uh, took it to an entirely different level as far as his attention to detail and so forth. Yeah. I mean, um, when, when Coach Mitchell was there, you know, I think that was his first year being a D coordinator, um, or second year, first position being D coordinator. And, you know, so it was a little bit different for him. Um, it's a lot different managing just your four guys as opposed to all 11. Um, so I think it was a little bit different for him, but as far as the coach, he was really nice, you know, really good, knowledgeable. I mean, he played in the league, he knew his stuff, but, um, his coaching philosophy was a lot different than Coach Smith. Um, Coach Smith came in there, you know, he, he's guns a blazing, you know, either you're with me or you're against me. If you, he's not scared to cuss you out by any means. Um, he, he's, it's a light trigger pull for him to cuss you out. You, it doesn't take much. And, you know, that, that was a big adjustment from, uh, Coach Mitch. Coach Mitch isn't cussing. I don't care what you do. You can do anything. It's flippity flap is coming out of his mouth. That's what he's saying. What the flippity flap was that? Coach Smith, he's saying some other words that I can't say on air, but he's letting you have it every single time. Even if it's not even a big deal, you might have just took a misstep. And it's coming out. And, um, you know, that, that was a big adjustment for me. You know, I, I think it might have got more out of me because I was somewhat scared of him because he, he might have been a little bit older, but he's crazy. So you, you never mess with a crazy man. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I remember uh, hearing stories from his first in on Coach Holt's staff of, I'm certainly not going to specify the player, but uh, I, I remember him. Kicking guys out of the meeting room. Oh yeah, he he was a regular kicker out of the meetings. You know, your phone goes off. Uh, it's his. It's his for the day. Um, in the meetings, so that was like our biggest fear was our phone going off in the meetings. Um, so then we eventually weren't even allowed. We didn't even bring him in because you know we're not having him keep our phone for a day. And um, you know, sometimes one time his phone went off in the meeting, and we started trying to take his phone. And so, you know, the cards reversed a little bit there. Um, so that was kind of funny. But, yeah, he, he was a – he's old school coach, um, you know, and sometimes that's what you need. I, I love Coach Smith. He was a great guy. You know, anything you needed on or off the field, you know, he, he took on that rough, you know, family attitude. You know, he would have us over to his house for barbecues before the season, in the season. You know, he, him and his wife would just cook for us. You know, he was really a good guy. So, Rocco, looking at your progression on the field, and like you said, uh, it was a big adjustment going from uh, playing safety to playing corner. And I know a lot, a lot of time, uh, those first three years on the field, um, you were spending it on special teams, and uh, you finally got you got your first start in the bowl game in 2014 uh, against the Gators down in Birmingham. So, just talk about that, and then kind of leading into that 2015 season where you started seven ball games. Yeah. So. Um... You know, my first year I, I was mainly special team, and then I, I uh, played nickel a few games um, against uh, Southern Miss. I started at nickel, but it's, it's not actually starting because it was just like a package uh, for third down. Um, it was like Southern Miss, uh, UNC, South Carolina is when I first went in um, for nickel because uh, Sykes got hurt, um, and then the next year. Next year, I played a little bit more nickel. Um, 
third year special teams. And then, yeah, so then I went in um, that bowl game. You know, someone got in trouble during the bowl practices that was supposed to be starting. Um, didn't end up – they ended up getting in trouble. You know, so I uh, – someone missed uh, – had to miss practice for um, attendance. So, you know, I, I got moved up to the starting for uh, bowl practices. And then I went in and I started doing good. I had like two or three picks that week. Um, I was pretty much locking down on defense, doing a good job, holding my own. And then um, coach was like, you keep this up, you're playing. Like they're not doing what they're supposed to do off the field. He's like, you're doing what you're supposed to do on and off the field. He's like, I don't care if it's a bowl game, you know, you're going to play. And so we went into bowl practices. Um, I didn't actually find out I was going to start until uh, I think it was the day before the game. Um, you know, I went with the ones all week. And then um, Coach Chase came up to me. He's like, he's like, hey, we just spoke in the meeting. You're up. You're starting. Uh, so that, that was a pretty cool, pretty cool time, you know, um, starting in the swamp. Um, funny story is uh, right before the game, um, if – you look back at a picture from that game, you know, it's not particularly cold or anything, you know, kind of muggy out, you know, we're in Birmingham. And um, when, when I first met Coach Smith, the first time I ever met him, um, he asked me what position I played, and I was like, I play corner. And he was like, he's like, safety, you play safety. I was like, no, I, I play corner. And he was like, he's like, he's like, son, I ain't had a white corner since 1978, and I ain't going to now. And he's like, you playing safety. And I was like, I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be weird. This is going to be weird. And then, um, so right before the game, I go, I'm like getting dressed. I'm about to go out there. Coach Smith looks at me and goes, Rocco, what are you doing? Put a long sleeve on. And I was like, a long, a long sleeve coach is kind of high. He's like, he's like, Rocco, if they see I have a white corner out there, they're going to call fade on the first play on you every single time. And I was like, I was like, ah, all right, I'll wear a long sleeve, man. They're not gonna know what I am. I was like, my face and the mask, I don't look that white, so they might think I'm mixed or something. We'll go for it. So now I'm wearing long sleeves and leggings in that game, and it's not even, not even that cold. I'm just doing it because you know I don't want to uh, get picked on. So that's, yeah, then, that's awesome. Uh, Those are the type of stories, Rocco. You can't make up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I, I heard it, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. I don't care. Um, and then, you know, going into my senior year, you know, um, started um, started Towson. You know, I wasn't actually um, – I don't think anyone knows this either. I wasn't going to start against Florida. Um, after the Towson game, um, I hurt my neck and didn't practice all week. Um, so I, I didn't practice at all the whole week going into the Towson game. Um, I did something to – it was like a vertebrae in my neck or something. I had a sprained neck. I was walking around one of those, those little neck cone things. Um, and then Amos was going to start. Amos is a good player. Um, you know, we felt good about him going in. And then at the very end of the Thursday practice, Amos uh, sprains his ankle pretty bad. And so we're like, oh, God, like – this is not good. Um, this was before Bobby Fulp had moved from uh, safety to corner. Um, so we didn't really have too many options yet because we we're so early in the season. Didn't really have many guys with experience. So you, know, I was like, well, do we have any like thing? So I took some medicine. Um, 
actual medicine. I, I don't mean to insinuate anything else. It was actual medicine. Um, <laughs> and then my neck got better. The inflammation went down. Um, and so then I played, you know, um, I wasn't really expecting to play the whole week leading up. Um, didn't even think I was going to travel. Um, and then Amos got hurt, you know, it, it was a good game to be a part of, you know, playing in the swamp. So I'm glad I got to be a part of that. You know, we ended up losing, but the game was memorable for sure. You know, that's something you don't forget, especially when you drop two picks. Um, but yeah, we'll leave that one out of here. Um, but, you know, that was a good game. And then, um, as you said, I started, I guess, seven games. Um, you know, I, I missed I missed a few games. And, you know, towards the end of the season, Coach Smith got kind of hesitant to start me um, because I, I had some concussion uh, issues my senior year. Um, I think I had two or three um, that meant – because I missed BYU with one, and then I got another one um, – so I was having some issues with concussions um, my senior year, which kind of put me in more of a, a reserve role. Um, they tried to limit my reps somewhat so that I wasn't always going in, um, which was something that kind of sucked for me because, you know, I'm going in knowing it's my senior year. I want to start every game. Um, I think I'm good enough to start every game at this point. You know, I'm getting confident in my abilities, but, you know, it's just something you can't really control having concussions. Um, you know, I, I had a history of them um, leading up to that too. You know, I had uh, two or three in high school. So I'd had a couple concussions before and, um, you know, just getting that one, I, I got the first one against SMU, you know, um, we were already up in the game. Um, I was actually already done playing the game. Um, I'd have been pulled because we were up, um, and then, you know, someone needed to go in for the second team nickel. Um, Amos was already done for the day, too. I was like, man, I'll go. I don't care. I'll, I'll, I want to get some reps. Uh, so I went in. Uh, they ran a slant. I went over to break it up, was falling down. A linebacker was breaking towards it as well, and his helmet hit me. And um, his knee hit me in the helmet. And then I was just blacked out from there on the field. Um, he started waking me up and got up, walked off the field, and, I thought I was in Hotel California. Didn't really know where I was. Um, had to miss the next game against BYU. And then just had another one after that. And it was just kind of something that lingered around, which kind of sucked, but um, it is what it is. What did you have to do to, for recovery for concussion, Rocco? There isn't really much you can do. Um, it's just kind of something that you just have to give it time. Um, there's not really any um, secret method to it. You know, they give us that little test. Um, they give us the test before season, and you kind of have to improve on your score for that, which, you know, I, I think is a faulted system um, in itself because some of those questions that they ask and do with it, you know, I barely know without a concussion. Um, and then you have guys, you know, we had this one situation at one point where um, – you know, guys didn't want to so – sometimes you do it on your own, on your computer at home, and you just have to submit it. You know, some guys didn't feel like taking it, so they would have their girlfriend take it. Their girlfriends were a lot smarter than them. <laughs> so when it came when it came time to take the test, we I remember one instance when – I'm not going to name the player, but we had one guy that couldn't pass it to save his life. Just kept getting bad score, bad score, bad score. It's like, I don't have a concussion. 
He's like, well, your, your score is showing that you do. And then finally he admitted, he's like, all right, I didn't take the test. I have my girlfriend take it. And we're like, that, you could have said that from the beginning. You wouldn't have missed a game. <laughs> oh, boy. So it, it's, it's stuff like that that goes beyond, on behind the scenes. No one really knows. And you're just like, all right, man, like, just tell us. Yeah, there's always there's always somebody, you know, has always had somebody else help them on a test or, or help them study. <laughs> so I guess it goes you, you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, baby. <laughs> yes. Hey, what, what, Rocco, you know, for me, I think about so many great times, but there's always, like, one particular game or, you know, a couple, a couple moments that you always remember as, like, the best moments from being, you know, being at ECU. What's yours? Uh, you know, that, that VTech game was something special, you know, um, that, that stadium was probably not probably, it was the loudest stadium I've ever been in. Um, you know, I, I thought South Carolina was, but VTech was something crazy. You know, they were just coming off that big win. They were ranked and then we came into their house and we won the game. Um, you know, I was on the field for that last drive and, you know, just being able to experience that and be in the game, um, you know, that was, that was huge. Um, that was a game that, you know, I'll never forget, you know, the feelings afterwards in the locker room, you know, everybody was so hyped because, you know, we did something a lot of people didn't think we could do and we went in VT's house and beat them. Um, that was probably the best, um, my favorite game that we've had. You know, a lot of people say the Carolina game and all that, um, you know, but we beat Carolina the year before. Um, you know, we we kind of knew we were better than them. And then, you know, this was when VTech was ranked. You know, going into somebody's house and beating them, um, and especially just hearing that crowd go silent, which was something you can't ever replicate. And you talk about that Virginia Tech game in 2014. Um, Obviously, besides just being your teammate, you and Shane are very close. And uh, see, seeing Shane uh, show that Pirate State of Mind tattoo to the Virginia Tech students after sneaking that winning touchdown in. Uh, so I, I lost you there. No problem. Can you hear me now? Yep. Okay. Uh, I'll. I was just following up on that 2014 Virginia Tech game. I said, besides obviously being teammates, uh, you and Shane are very tight. So uh, just that moment where he's scored the game-winning touchdown and uh, showed the Pirate State of Mind logo to the Virginia Tech students. Oh, yeah. I mean, when he did that, I was like, that's my dog. Let's go. You know, I mean, that that tattoo is uh, – it definitely has a place in ECU history. Um it's almost, it's going to be something of ECU folklore almost. I mean, just the way he would kind of shove it in teams' faces after he would beat them, you know, it's something, it's kind of special. It's kind of funny looking back at it. Rocco, there you see on the screen, Benny Harward chiming in. Uh, his son, John, Benny. was one of, your, one of your student assistant coaches. So he's Yeah, J5. Yeah, J5. So, uh, Benny's, Benny and John say hello this morning. Good morning, guys. But, um, talking about Virginia Tech, like you said, um, you said that's the loudest road environment that the Pirates have played in. Um, I mean, and also during your career, you've been to the likes of South Carolina, Florida, not, not at that point. That was obviously the following season. 
but uh, also BYU in 2015. So um, that, that was interesting for sure to hear you say Virginia Tech is louder than the swamp. Yeah, um, I, I never actually went to BYU, but I heard it was pretty loud because that was a game I missed with a concussion. So I didn't get to um, make that travel. Um, but yeah, it, to me, it was definitely louder than the swamp. Um, you know, the playing environment wasn't as bad because the swamp is literally a swamp. Um, it's, it's sticky. It's hard to breathe. You know, it is humid. It's everything you would think a swamp is. Um, but, you know, VTech, something about their, the way their stadium's built and how close the sidelines are, um, it's just so loud um, in there that it, it's ridiculous, especially yeah. on the field. Like, we were having a hard time even just communicating what coverage we were in, whether or not we were doing a combo or something like that. It was just hard to even communicate. Yeah, like you were saying, uh, Lane Stadium there in Blacksburg, the, the stands are very vertical. And then yeah. they had that massive press box uh, over the last 10 or 15 plus years and um, where the, the sound just uh, doesn't leave that stadium very, very easily. Yeah. And that explains it because I just couldn't believe how loud it was. You know, I thought I would never hear anything louder than South Carolina before they, I think, would they play Sandstorm? Um, yeah. But, Sandstorm. Yeah. And I remember the first time I was, on there, you know, I'm on there for opening kickoff. I'm looking around. I'm like, this is college football. Like, this is why you go through everything in the summer to get that adrenaline rush, to get that those goosebumps, you know, those butterflies in your stomach. You're looking around. You're seeing people waving those white uh, rally flags that they were. You're like, this is why I go through it all. And then we're in the final minutes of the VTech game. I'm like, you can't compare this to anything. Like, I've never felt something this loud. Absolutely. Uh, Jay, did you have anything else this morning for Rocco? Rocco. Um, oh, sorry. Sorry, Bubba. I was on mute. <laughs> what, go, go ahead. Rocco, you talked about, you know, conditioning and then Coach Connors getting through that and then, you know, how it makes things not as hard, you know, now maybe or you can push through things. It's just interesting once you get out of ECU and kind of get into, you know, get into, you know, Europe for you, you know, going, going to UNC and continuing on with education and then, and then jobs. But what's one of the biggest things that you'll learn from playing football um, that's going to help you in the real world? You know, uh, for me, I think it's probably going to be, you know, how to, especially in today's age, you know, how to relate from people from different backgrounds. You know, uh, if you're in a locker room, it's, it's kind of a melting pot of, like, different ethnicities, cultures, um, socioeconomic backgrounds. You know, everyone is from somewhere that you're not. Everyone else has a different story than you. And you, with a football team, you put those differences aside and you look to accomplish a certain goal. And, you know, I think playing football, you know, that helps you be able to t not look at people's differences and just work towards a common goal and see people for what they are and helps you relate to people from different backgrounds. And uh, I think that's something that's going to serve me well, you know, especially being an attorney. It's going to help me be able to relate to people that aren't from me, that maybe aren't white, you know, and, you know, helps you be able to relate to them. And I think that's something that's important. I think that's something why all kids should play sports 
because they need to get exposed to other people. They need to see what other kids are going through and realize sometimes how lucky they are for what they're going through. And then something that they may perceive to be a problem in their life isn't actually a problem anymore. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest thing I've taken along putting aside the, you know, the mental strength it gives you to be able to persevere through difficult situations. I think it's just the fact that you learn how to talk and be with other people. And Rocco, uh, you've been very generous with your time this morning. Uh, the final thing I would have for you as we start to wrap this up is uh, obviously Mike Houston entering his second year. Uh, we're hoping and praying that there'll be football this fall. Uh, still waiting to find out. But um, just talk about the direction of the Pirate program. And uh, you have some familiar faces um, back on the sideline like Donnie Kirkpatrick. Yeah, you know, uh, Donnie's back. Uh, love Donnie. Um, Tripp's back, which I, I love that hire. I've said that before. Um, I think Tripp's a really good coach, um, really good student of the game. Um, you know, and I, I'm excited to see what's going to happen. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, Blake Prohl, he's going to bust out this season. You know, I'm, I'm a big uh, Blake fan. Um, I'm partially biased towards him because, you know, he is a Greensboro kid. I know he, he claims Charlotte now. Um, but, you know, his uh, family grew up not too far from mine, you know, so I've kind of seen him grow up uh, from being a kid. Uh, you know, I knew his brother, Austin. Um, they're both younger than me, but I knew him, Ricky, growing up. I used to go to his dad's football camps all the time. Um, so I, I like seeing the, the group that he's achieved. Um, I think he's got big things on the horizon. You know, I like Holton being back in the system and being comfortable. Um, I think Holton's ceiling is very, very high. Um, this season and I'm excited to see what the, um, the new transfers are going to do you know I, I can't even name them all off the top of my head honestly but I've seen how many that we have coming in I'm, I'm really excited to see what they're going to do um, I think a lot of them are going to bring a new new dynamic to the team and you know I, I think I as a player you don't always like having another guy from a bigger school come in um, you know, cause he's, he's coming to take your spot or whatever, but I think that's going to make the players in those position groups better because competition breeds, um, the best out of people. So I think it's going to force the other kids to get better and train harder and do stuff that they normally wouldn't have done because they may have got complacent, but now they're not going to be able to, cause there's going to be someone coming from another school that has a short period of time to make their mark. And so I think that's going to be good for the rest of the team as well. And since you brought up the grad transfers, one of those um, grad transfers the Pirates are bringing into the program is Nigel Knott out of Alabama. I'm sure you've you've heard of him, uh, but yeah, the word the word on Nigel just a tremendous athlete and had some uh, injury issues um, and so forth. But now he is cleared to go and. Um, I, I want to say, Rocco, what you had a vertical jump of what, like 36 or 37 inches and you, you ran maybe yep. a high four, high four threes. Uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, mid four fours. Okay. Uh, so yeah, Nigel, Nigel, not, uh, he, he's, I want to say he's there in the four threes and then also has a vertical jump in excess of 40 inches. So, uh, certainly uh, the type of athlete Something we you can't need. teach. Yeah, exactly. The type of athlete we need to, uh, 
have back there in the secondary. I'm very interested to see what he can do with Jaquan McMillan, who did a tremendous job last year as a true freshman at West Forsyth, uh, out, out here, um, not too far from, um, you know, where you originally were from, about 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah, um, he, he had a great freshman season. I think it was probably one of the better ones that, you know, any DB in ECU has had, especially as a freshman. Um, I, I want to see him build on that. I'm excited to see how he builds on that. Um, you know, the expectations are high for him. But, you know, I, I think he's going to live up to it. He's a three three six kid, so I have faith in him. You know, we stick together. Rocco, uh, Jay and I, we certainly enjoyed the conversation. Uh, really appreciate you being so generous with your time. As, as uh, you mentioned, you're preparing for the bar exam. Uh, we'll certainly be uh, thinking of you and uh, praying that all goes well there and, um, and that um, everything down in Florida, you and, um, you and your girlfriend are, are staying safe. I, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Rocco. All right, Jack. All right, Bubba. All right, appreciate it, Rocco. All right, have a good one. All right, you too. Pirate Nation, that is former East Carolina defensive back Rocco Scarfone, uh, played for the Pirates from 2011 to 2015. Uh, join us later on this afternoon as we will catch up with East Carolina women's basketball coach Kim McNeil and also former Pirate Jada Payne, who went on to play a short while in the uh, WNBA with the Washington Mystics. So we'll have that for you later this afternoon. And some of the upcoming 50 Pirates in 50 days, we will talk to um, Robert Jones, who came in as the defensive lineman, transitioned over to the offensive line, um, played for the Pirates from 2008 to 2012. And so Robert was entering the program right as Jay was leaving there in uh, 2007. And then uh, also uh, we will catch up with former Pirate place kicker, one of the top place kickers, if not the most accurate place kicker in East Carolina history, Michael Barbour, who um, kicked for the Pirates in 2010 and 2011, uh, made 28 out of 35 field goals. And of those seven misses, I think at least like three were in excess of 50 yards. So just a remarkable place kicker, had a career long of 58 yards. And uh, we'll talk to Michael here in the next few days also. Um, Jay? Appreciate you joining me on the spur of the, spur of the moment uh, and being co-host again this morning. And that was an excellent conversation with, with Rocco. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Rocco was great. It was good catching up with him. Absolutely. And uh, so, Jay, uh, we certainly, like I said, appreciate you coming on and look forward to having you back soon, whether it's co-hosting one of these 50 Pirates in 50 Days or on the show to talk other topics. Uh, but for Jay Sonhalter, former Pirate tight end, I'm Bubba Rosenbaum, and you've been watching and listening to 50 Pirates in 50 Days on the Sports Objective Podcast. Have a great day, everyone. Go Pirates. You've been listening to 50 Pirates in 50 Days on the Sports Objective Podcast. Remember, each of these interviews can be seen on our Facebook and YouTube channels, or the audio only can be heard exclusively on SoundCloud and Anchor. Wherever you watch and listen to the show, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe. As always, we appreciate you listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Go Pirates!